0: Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. There's a line as we've kind of listened to this past song that's been bouncing around in my head this week from The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Um... This line is uh, said by Mr. Tumnus, and he says in here, he's describing the world in which he lives. He says, it is winter in Narnia and has been forever so long, always winter, but never Christmas. It's one line in this children's book, but I think it encompasses a lot of what we feel in a season like this, um, that we are waiting for hope to arrive. We feel like it's always winter, but we're never getting to Christmas. And I'm not talking about waiting in the, in the vague spiritual sense. Uh, you know, so much of us right now, as I look across this room and know stories that aren't even here today, I know there are things that we are aching and waiting for right now. We feel the weight of tangible things we're struggling and suffering through in real time. In the past couple of weeks, I know in this church alone, we've had a couple of different families lose someone. Um, Among those in this community, I know there's people who are struggling with cancer, other health concerns dealing with strained and broken relationships, all sorts of things and aches that come together as we gather into a room like this, right? Every single week. I would say I'm not going out on a limb to bet that today here, there's something that you right now, each one of you are probably wrestling with something you're waiting on, some kind of weight that feels very heavy for you. And so I just want to take a second and just ask you, and I want you to hold on to what that is. What is the ache that you feel right now? Just pause for a second. What is that? Maybe there's multiple, but what's one that's just, as you enter a room in this space today, What what, what is weighing on you? What is the ache that you're feeling and longing for? I, I want to hold on to that as we move forward and look to the scriptures together. Oscar Romero, he's one of my favorite thinkers, a priest from Argentina. He, he once said that there are some things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. I love that statement, because in many ways, suffering, as we're crying out for change, the Bible itself, it kind of opens us up to see things, why, how we couldn't see them otherwise, as we walk through these spaces of suffering and tears. And for the most part, the Bible is written from a people in the midst of suffering. Most of what we read as we open the Scriptures are written to and from and about a suffering people who are waiting for something to break through. Very, very few times we see in the Scriptures someone speaking or being spoken to directly in this sense that are speaking from a place of comfort and Everything being okay, most of the time, the people we read in the Scriptures, the words that we're, we're we're receiving even here today are words that are written to and about people who are struggling through something. And so if you do feel that ache today, that's actually good news because it helps you see, I believe, the Scriptures in a way you couldn't see them otherwise. Today's passage that we just heard, James 5, it, it speaks to this. It's a pastoral encouragement to walking in hardship together as a family. And I'm going to read this this passage once again that we just heard, and then I want to pray. And I I want to pray not just because that's what we're supposed to do in a room like this as we do these things. I want to pray because I I hope we know that it's not a given that we just come and receive. There is a, a posture of openness to what God is doing. There's a posture of deciding as we come into a room like this, Lord, I want to hear from you today. Not just I'm sitting here and I'm taking stuff in, I'm inputting good information so I can be inspired about something. No, today is a decision by each one of us, including myself. Do I want to hear from and receive from the Lord today? I hope that's you. So as we read these scriptures, let's enter in with that kind of posture And let's pray together. Look with me here again on the screen. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is your word spoken that is living and active, not because there's some sort of magical book in front of us, but because you, Lord, your spirit is living and active still within it. And So today, I don't want to take a moment like this lightly that we gather to hear from and receive from you. And so I ask for myself, I ask for all of us here today, Lord, you would make our hearts open to what you want to speak and change and shift and move within us to make us more like you, that our joy may be complete, that our lives may be made more whole as we receive from you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I would love a show of hands of how many people in here love to be told to be patient. When's the last time someone told you to be patient? I bet you there's a lot of people looking at their husbands and wives right now. Uh that 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 looks dangerous. I'm sorry if I started something there. We we live in an instantaneous society where we have technology that constantly uh, kind of promises us to shorten, if not erase, the weight of what we have to wait for our food, our our traveling. We're moving towards continually this this society where we are freed from having to wait for anything at all. And so, it does not encourage, I would say, as we walk through our days, patience. It probably celebrates the very opposite of that in impatience. Over and over again, however, the Scriptures are pushing us towards patience. When Paul brilliantly describes love in 1 Corinthians 13, this passage you hear at probably every single wedding you've ever been to, what's the first thing Paul uses to describe love? Love is what? Patient. Isn't that wild? Of all the words that Paul could use to describe love, the first he uses is patience. When he's describing the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, he says it's love, joy, peace, and what? Patience. The outflow of the Holy Spirit. The word here in the Greek that we uh, we are going to look at for patience. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this word and embarrass myself because that'll be on public record. Patience here. This Greek word means to not lose heart, to persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. In other words, patience isn't always a feeling that we feel. Instead, more often than not, patience is a choice. Or better yet, we might be able to say today that patience is actually a posture that we learn to choose towards what we can and what we cannot Control. James he gives this example of a farmer who is patient because he's waiting for the rains to come in the spring and the fall in Palestine in the time of Jesus. Still today, there's spring rains and there are fall rains, and they kind of control the 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 health of the harvest. And so as a farmer, you can only do so many things right. You can prepare the ground, you can plant the seed, you can tend to the weeds, you can protect and what is growing from the animals that are coming around, but you cannot make it grow, can you? Ask my garden. You cannot make it grow. You cannot make it grow. You can only do what you can do. God alone is sovereign over what does and does not grow, meaning that you can do everything right sometimes and it doesn't grow. And also on the other side of this, and I've seen this happen more often than not too, is that somehow in the midst of a lot of mistakes and mishaps, somehow in spite of all of that, something still grows. God is sovereign over what grows and does not grow. That's why James gives us this picture because the farmer knows, I can control only so many things, but ultimately God controls what grows. Sometimes we suffer, yes, as a result of the choices we make. That kind of suffering is certainly hard, but it's easier for us to understand that kind of suffering. But much of what we suffer in life, right, is unearned suffering. It's suffering that's at the hands of a broken world suffering because of the sins of others suffering that comes from the outside of other decisions and other actions every one of us in some degree probably right now are suffering in a way that is unearned in a way that did not come upon us because of choices that we have made and when we do this when we experience this kind of suffering we're confronted by the truth that is very hard for us to fathom and to hold on to and that is that there's just so much in life that is outside of our control isn't there Man, you learned that so much over the years. I can only control so much. How many of you know this all too well right now? I can't control everything. That realization makes all the difference. I and mean, what do you do when you feel that weight in your body that makes you feel out of control? I mean, some of us, we get really busy to distract ourselves from the things that we can't control. Some of us retreat into our coping mechanisms to distract and to numb us from feeling what it feels like when we cannot feel like we are in control. Some of us love to exercise control over other smaller areas of our life and our relationships and opportunities just to give us some sense of security and peace because when I can't control this one big thing, at least I can control these little things right here. And here's how Paul encourages us in this. He says, "You two, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near." Now, step into this posture of patience. Paul or James is saying. Sorry, in the Greek, "stand firm" here literally means to strengthen and to stabilize your heart. If you sit your heart on something that is unstable, it is likely to fall. It means to lay a foundation that cannot be shaken. The picture that we're given here is laying something down on unsettled ground that is constantly shifting beneath our feet. And because of this, it's constantly feeling like it's on the edge of toppling over. I don't know if you've ever emotionally or spiritually been in that place where it feels like the ground is always moving underneath you. You cannot find your footing. You're constantly looking for something to hold on to because everything feels like it's changing all around you. James says stand firm. Stabilize your heart. Set your heart on something that cannot be shaken in a world that is always shaking. James in many times as you read through his his letter, you'll notice that it sounds vaguely like the Sermon on the Mount. James is constantly pointing to the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, you know, he should probably, Jesus could sue him for plagiarism because there's so much in James that is basically the Sermon on the Mount over again and restated. And this particular verse here points us to probably the culmination of the whole sermon when, in Matthew 7 when Jesus is encouraging the words that he just spoke to be put into practice. It says here, Matthew 7, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What James is asking me, what James is asking you today, with the Sermon on the Mount is calling our attention to is, is our heart on stable ground? What have we placed the weight of our heart upon? because it's not a matter of if storms will come, it's when. All of us are either entering into a storm, going through a storm, or coming out of a storm. We are constantly in the process of experiencing the trials and sufferings that just face our humanity, unearned suffering. And James wants to remind us that our hearts need to be found on something that cannot be shaken when everything else is. So what can we control? I think we can control how we prepare our actual hearts to withstand the storm. We can be patient and stand firm, as James says, to find ways to sit our hearts on things that matter, things that cannot be shaken. question is for us, how do we actually do that. I'm reminded today of the witness of a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. Frankl was a Jewish psychologist who suffered through Nazi uh, concentration camps, and out of this experience, he survived, and he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. Anybody ever heard of that book, Man's Search for Meaning? The book recounts Frankel's experiences, his observation as he persevered through, I mean, what are the most unimaginable conditions somehow making it through without giving up in the midst of this concentration camp. And his observations, among many other inspiring things in this book, is that those who have meaning in life, the meaning that a person, even in the midst of that suffering, they can return to, someone who has a future Hope can withstand the very worst experiences of the present. In these concentration camps, they were very aware of what they could not control. In his book, he writes, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. The people reading the New Testament for the first time were facing a suffering that was of no fault of their own, and for the most part, it was entirely out of their control, which is why over and over again in the Scriptures, they are told in the power of suffering, you are being trans." Formed, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., he knew this well, too. He spoke about this many times. 1960, he writes this article called The Pilgrimage to Nonviolence. He turns it into this magazine that's going to publish it, and the editor asks him, this is really good, but can you give us more of your personal experiences? And so Dr. King wrote back to him to add this into what he faced. He said, my personal trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways that I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course, recognizing the necessity for suffering I have tried to make of it a virtue. If only to save myself from bitterness, I have attempted to see my personal ordeals as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. Notice here, the king did not say that God was causing the suffering he faced. Around this time, his house was being bombed by white supremacists. He was facing incredible suffering with his family. But he does not say in here that God is causing these sufferings. He's saying that God is using these sufferings. Not that he's heaping suffering upon us, but rather in these sufferings, he is redeeming and transforming us. The picture I love to give in this is a picture of a father who is painting this beautiful picture on a large canvas. It's this mountain landscape. There's beautiful valleys and streams. It's absolutely a stunning painting. Now picture while he steps away. This is very easy for me to picture. A rambunctious young child running through the room, bumping into the paint and splattering paint all over the masterpiece from top to bottom, splatter of paint. Now, the child is mortified. He immediately knows the gravity of this situation, of the mistake, and he cowers in fear because he's afraid that his father's just going to be boiling with anger. But instead, his father, he calmly picks up the paint and the brushes. And with the precision of a master artist, he incorporates the splatter of color into the picture itself. Somehow he creates out of the mistake, out of the suffering, a picture that is more beautiful than it was before. Taking what happened to the painting and using it for the good of the whole picture. This is the promise of Romans 8.28, which I hope you know it says, and we know that in all things, say that, all things, say it, all things, All things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things means that like an artist that has walked up to this masterpiece, God can take suffering, God can take the worst parts of our lives and form them into something beautiful for our good and for his glory. How many of you have experienced that in your own story? You've walked through God taking what was broken And made it beautiful. God took suffering. God took the worst of our lives. And when we offered it to him, formed it into a masterpiece. The early Christians that James was writing to, that Paul was writing here in Romans 8. They knew this. They lived this reality. Because as they entered a suffering they expected, they also expected that God walked in and shaped it for their good. That's why Paul, earlier in Romans, he writes, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, to glory in our sufferings is is not, hear me, when we say glory in our sufferings, is not to ignore the gravity of them it's not to deny their pain. It's not to minimize or diminish their impact. That's not what Paul is calling us to. What he is saying is, is I feel the weight. I feel the weight of what God can do. Glory in the Old Testament, kabod means the weight, significance of something. something. And so when we glory in something, we are recognizing the weight and the significance of what is happening within them. Paul is saying we glory in what God can do in our suffering because in this, when we choose this long-suffering patience, it produces in us perseverance. It produces in us the ability to endure. Out of that endurance, that forms our character, who we are. And out of who we are, we find hope. Hope is often hard to find because hope comes out of the type of people we are and not out of a feeling that we feel. Hope is developed over time when through suffering, I choose to keep going. I choose to offer the suffering I'm experiencing up to God. And when I do that, suffering produces perseverance and endurance, endurance character and shaping the kind of person I am. And in the kind of person I am, I have hope. Isn't that good news? Oh, it's good news. Which brings us back to where we began today when talking about the ache that each one of us feel in a space like this, the suffering that we face. And it's not a hypothetical, it's not an idea that's out there. I know we feel weight in this room right now, it's a suffering that is in reality. I recognize. That speaking about patience in the midst of suffering can feel from a faith perspective to be very dismissive and detached. As if God is just simply up there saying, from afar, outside of our suffering, just, just be patient. Even lacking empathy for what we face. That, if we do not understand the character of God in our suffering, is often what people can here. Verses like this can easily be spiritualized into a very dismissive trope and be used to to tell people that they don't have enough faith if they're not being patient. If they feel invisible, it's because they do not have enough of what God is asking of them in the midst of this instead of the character of God as he actually is. That's not what James is talking about when he speaks of patience, when he calls us to be patient. What he's pointing us to is the actual character of God in our suffering. Isaiah 53 speaks of the coming Messiah that we celebrate in this season. He says that he is a man of what? Suffering. And he's familiar with pain. I mean, think about that. God in Jesus Christ did not spiritualize away our suffering or even his own suffering. He entered right into the middle of it. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, I love these verses. He says, when Jesus was on earth... A man of flesh and blood. He offered up prayers and pleas, groans and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard because he approached God with reverence. And although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. And once he was perfected through that suffering, he became the way of eternal salvation for those who hear and follow his voice. When God took on flesh, what we celebrate in the season, when he took on flesh, he didn't just take upon a detached reality that was far away from the things that we face in our world. Jesus suffered in all of the ways that we suffer. There is no agony that we have faced and are facing that Jesus has not felt in his own flesh. Not only did God and Jesus Christ enter into our suffering, not only did he suffer with us, but the scriptures tell us here that he suffered for us. That by his suffering, what he perfected in God, what he perfected in us, became real as he died upon the cross. By his wounds, by his suffering, our sufferings are redeemed and hopeful because God can take every death and turn it into resurrection. So when God this morning calls us as we enter into this time of communion here in a second, into a posture of patience in the midst of what we're facing together. He is not denying the pain of what you feel. He enters into the pain of what you feel. I know there are things we are facing right now that feel like death. But in that death, Jesus, as he enters into that feeling, into that suffering, into that hardship, he is pointing us to resurrection. There is no suffering you and I will face, do face, that does not point us directly towards resurrection. And just like Jesus entered the world in this season that we celebrate, Jesus is still entering into our suffering. And so the call today as we move forward in communion is to allow Jesus to enter what you are facing right now, to invite Him into that, to transform it. I believe that patience is possible not because it feels right, not because it's easy, but because Jesus is actually present with us. That's the only way patience is possible, because there is a God who enters into what we face. There is a God who walks with us through the trial. There is a God who suffers with us within it. There is a God who suffers for us, and that is what we celebrate today.